Actions speak louder than words. Herb Miller writes this. Two Kentucky farmers who owned racing stables had developed a keen rivalry. One spring, each of them entered a horse in a local steeplechase. Thinking that a professional rider might help him outdo his friend, one of the farmers engaged a crack jockey. The two horses were neck and neck with a large lead over the rest of the pack at the last fence, but suddenly both fell, unseating their riders. The professional jockey remounted quickly and rode on to win the race. Returning triumphantly triumphantly to the paddock, the jockey found the farmer who had hired him fuming with rage. What's the matter? The jockey asked. I won, didn't I? Oh yeah, roared the farmer. You won all right, but you crossed the finish line on the wrong horse. In his hurry to remount after the fall, the jockey had jumped on his competitor's horse. Crossing the finish line strong and... On the right horse is important, isn't it? We need to be in the right place in our life. We need to be serving the right one in our life. It's something that we must do, and it's something that we can do despite the battles, despite the struggles that we experience in our life. Uh, Think about this. Do Do you ever feel like your life is a failure? Do you ever, I mean, I mean, like, you're just getting nowhere? Like, you're just... You know, you, you get up, you go to work, you come home tired, you eat, you go to bed, you get up, you go to work. That, that sort of thing, like just, just a mundane, um, am, am, am I getting anywhere in my life? Or, or ultimately and desperately you ask the question, is my life even worth living? It sure is easy to get pessimistic about life, isn't it? I mean, we just finished a series that took seven weeks to point out all the ways that we're coming up short, right? Uh, oh, I'm so busy. I'm a terrible dad. I hardly spend any time with my kids. Oh, I deserve such and such. I'm entitled to this and that. I'm just getting shortchanged left and right. Yeah, I, I, know, I, I know I should make different decisions, but you know what? I just don't really care. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I, I really don't want to experience the pain and struggle that comes along with making those hard decisions and better decisions. Yeah, yeah, I know I'm ungodly in many areas of my life, but I'm certainly not as bad as that guy. Compared to him, I'm a saint, so I must be okay. Oh, and by the way, did you hear about Charlie? I mean, what he did to me, and, and let me tell you about it, he, he really needs you to pray for him. Um, let me fill you in on the details. It just makes me angry. I'm so angry I could explode. Oh, yeah, I'll never, ever forgive her for doing what she did. I just can't. Not until she feels the same pain. No, it doesn't feel that great, but it's my anger, and I want to feel it, okay? Baggage, right? Yeah, I, I guess I do have a little, but, but what are you going to do? I mean, maybe a few drinks will help me forget. Maybe a big tub of ice cream and some chocolate syrup. You know, I'll just indulge myself a little. Um, I deserve it all, right? I, I mean, why would you want to tackle all those things? Uh, why would I even want to tackle all of those things in my life if I'm just going to one day take my last breath and it's going to be over? Besides all those things, there's, there's so much struggle and pain in the world, right? There's, there's sickness and there's disease and there's accidents and tragedies and war and economic turmoil and struggle. The price of fuel and food and houses and, and man, the list just goes on and on and on. 
And the, the struggles of, of the last two years, everyone on the planet is living on the edge of a psychological breakdown, it seems. Broken relationships, physical abuse from the ones who should love us, neglect, the, the undervaluing of the unborn and the elderly, political divides, government oppression and overreach and bad policy, at least policy that I don't agree with. Life just can seem futile, can't it? I mean, is it even worth living? That idea is tackled by the author of the Old Testament book that we're embarking on to study today, the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, I I heard a sermon this last week on the level of hopelessness that is in our world today, as if I already didn't introduce that enough. Um, Pastor Ben uh, described the generation known as Gen Z. Uh, Now, if you were born between the years of 1997 and 2012, you are considered Gen Z. Uh, Those born between 81 and 96 are millennials. Those born between 65 and 80, that's that's my generation, that's Generation X. And, And according to health experts, millennials and Gen Zers are the most stressed out generations in all of history. Uh, But especially Gen Z. Gen Z reportedly has the least positive outlook on life, uh, including lower levels of emotional and social well-being. In the 12 months following 2019, Gen Zers were two to three times more likely to have thought about, planned, or carried out attempts of suicide than any other generation. In addition, Gen Z is twice as likely not to seek help for the mental suffering that they are suffering. And and those of you who are in Gen Z, this this doesn't really surprise you. You see it in your friends' lives. You you may have even experienced it yourself. You get it. And and most people just don't know what to do about it. Uh, In fact, the U.S. Surgeon General called it a mental health crisis in our nation. And it is so bad that the mental health experts have renamed Gen Z as, are are you ready for this? The hopeless generation. People in America are struggling to have hope in their life. There are many, many people who are concluding, and incorrectly, I might add, that life is not worth living. Now, this isn't old. I I mean, this isn't new. Um, The the Jewish writer uh, Shalom Alkaim, who actually, uh, the fiddler on the roof was based on his stories, he once described life this way. A blister on top of a tumor and a boil on top of that. I mean, ew, right? You can almost feel, you can almost feel it. Uh, Carl Sandburg, an American po- poet, compared life to an onion. You peeled it off one layer at a time and sometimes you weep. Uh, George Bernard Shaw said that life was a series of inspired follies. I mean, those statements themselves are pretty hopeless. What a depressing situation we can find ourselves in, right? And as the book of Ecclesiastes starts, it seems that that's where King Solomon's head is headed as well. 
Of course, depression and hopelessness isn't the final conclusion. Um, We need to get that out there right now. And and I want to make this very, very clear. Though I've described what a lot of people are feeling, the conclusion that life isn't worth living couldn't be more wrong. Life is worth living, and there is great hope in this life. I mean, yes, there are hardships and struggles and problems in this world. But, but we have to remember that having struggles in life is normal. Okay, it's, it's, it's to be expected because life is hard. Life is hard. Um, and it is hard for those who are following Jesus, and it is equally as hard for those who are not following Jesus. We need to remember what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. It is common to man, all mankind, that life is hard. We should have no other expectation except that there will be hard things that happen in our lives. Uh, Heartache and heartbreak, suffering and struggle, trials and tribulations, successes and failures, all normal. See, if you've bought into the lie that, that, that we all deserve or the, the thing that makes life successful is that we're happy. Um, that, it's just, that's not what gives life purpose. Now, we, we receive that. Um, God gives us many gifts, and we're going to look at those over the course of the next few weeks. But, but we need to recognize that, it's, that, that life being hard is, is normal. And though we are the same, believers and non-believers, as far as our troubles are concerned, we are not the same when it comes to our conclusions and how to deal with those troubles that we face. While it may seem hopeless for someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, it is not for us who are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus didn't just say you're going to have trouble. I only gave you a little bit of what he said. If we look at that whole verse, he says, I have told you things, these things, so that you, so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. He is the expert. He is the overcomer. And when we latch on to him, when we moor our lives to his, we too can overcome and our peace can come from Jesus. Our hope in life comes from Jesus. Yes, life is worth living because Jesus. Hopelessness is a message from the pit of hell. And, and we hear it constantly in our culture. That if you don't do this or you don't believe that or, or if, if the government doesn't do this or if they do that, it's just all going to be hopeless. No, no, it's never hopeless. It's never hopeless. John 10.10 10, uh, tells us that the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Um, Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. See, we can, we can have a rich and satisfying life even in the midst of hard things. 
Because life is worth living in Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at the first three verses of Ecclesiastes. Somebody said, wow, you're going to do the whole book of Ecclesiastes this summer and you're only doing three verses today? I always, I, it's just something I struggle with. I, I mean, I just, these three verses are, these, these three verses today will lay the foundation for when we, in the next seven weeks, do two chapters at a time, Okay. So if, if, if we get out early today, I'm banking those for future messages, okay? <laughs> Just to let you know. And that's usually a pretty big if. So, um, so turn to Ecclesiastes, if you would. It's the second of three Old Testament books that are referred to as the wisdom books. Um, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the book of Job are most commonly considered the wisdom books of the Old Testament. Let's look at Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 3. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Wow, that sounds almost exactly like the same attitude and conclusion that I just spent 10 minutes getting us to feel and think about, right? Son of David, king of Jerusalem, it describes Solomon. There, there's no doubt in my mind that this uh, text came from Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live, and even in that gift that he was given by God, he struggled with living his life wisely. He searched and searched in all the wrong places, uh, now, some commentators believe that this book was written at the end of Solomon's life and that as we go through it, um, I, as I've kind of read through it, I, I come to the same, the same conclusion. It, it's, like he's, it's like he's at the end of his life and he's remembering back to all of the things that he attempted to find meaning in in his life. And then finally, in the end, he took the time to, to really reflect and came to the, to the correct right conclusion. And maybe even in his old age, he dictated to someone, which is why he doesn't say at the, at the beginning in those first three, three verses, he doesn't say, I, son of David. Instead, it's, it, it's the words of the teacher, right? And says the teacher. So God is inspiring Solomon to reflect on his life and write these things for us so we can have them today as we look at our Situation which is very similar to his. God's word is amazing. His, the way that he communicates to us is, is amazing. And the teacher, uh, in Hebrew it's koheleth, and it's a title given to an official leader who calls an assembly, who, who gathers a group of people. And uh, the Greek word for a called out assembly. So I, I would be Kohaleth, right? I'm calling you to, to gather. And then you then, who are the folks who would be assembled, the Greek word for that, uh, for a called out assembly is ecclesia, which is where we get the book title for one, Ecclesiastes. And ecclesia is also commonly translated in the New Testament as church. Koheleth also carries with it the idea of debating. So as we read through Ecclesiastes, we see this, this debate going on, but he's not debating with someone else. It's like he's debating with himself. 
He works through several topics, discussing them from different viewpoints in a very orderly fashion, and he comes to a conclusion in the end. Solomon puts the key to the book, the, the, the key to his conclusion, under the mats of both the front door and the back door. Right? In the front door. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? That's kind of the key to the book. And, and at the, in the very last chapter, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12, verse 8, he says, everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. Now, in order to properly understand the book of Ecclesiastes, we need to properly understand these words that he uses here because it's, it's very important. And, and I hope you'll stick with me as we lay the groundwork for our study in Ecclesiastes. So first, we're going to look at the word translated meaningless. Or if you have a, a literal translation uh, like the New American Standard or the King James Version, it says vanity. Okay. Vanity, meaningless, comes from the Hebrew word havel. Havel. That word is used 38 times in Ecclesiastes, and this is what it means. It means a wisp of vapor, a puff of wind, a mere breath. It's like smoke, which is why our graphic is the way that it is. See, when I think of meaningless, I think of without meaning, but that's not what Ecclesiastes is saying. That's not what Solomon is saying. Solomon is saying it's, it's like smoke. It looks like you could grab it. It looks like it has substance, but as soon as you try, it disappears and it's gone. It's not without meaning. It's without substance. Okay, it, it, it has nothing we can really get our hands on. It is the nearest thing to zero. Whatever disappears quickly, leaves nothing behind, and does not satisfy is Havel. It is not necessarily without meaning. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message, he translates it this way. He says, smoke, nothing but smoke. That's what the quester says. There's, there's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. One writer described Havel as whatever is left after you break a soap bubble. We will see it in the coming weeks. Wealth, wisdom, our world. Solomon comes to the same conclusion about everything. Havel. Havel. Everything, the teacher says, is without substance. But we have to understand that, that the everything is qualified by the next phrase or another phrase that he uses in those first three verses, and that's under the sun. Okay, that's under the sun. This phrase he uses 29 times, and it's the teacher's perspective. It, it's, it's his description of, of all the ways that he has searched for meaning. It is completely human-based, completely humanistic. There is no spirituality, there is no God in all of this searching that he did. It, this under the sun applies to human wisdom, human experience, and we try to apply those things to all the complex human struggles that we have. This book is as applicable today as it was when it was first written. As we study it, we must keep Solomon's viewpoint in mind. He is examining life under the sun. Okay? 
Uh, in his unfolding message of the Bible book, G. Campbell Morgan perfectly summarized Solomon's outlook. This is what he says. This man had been living through all these experiences under the sun, concerned with nothing above the sun, until there came a moment in which he had seen the whole of life and there was something, and there was something over the sun. It, only, it is only as man takes account of that which is over the sun as well as that which is under the sun that things under the sun are seen in their true light. If, if your focus is purely on this world, lost you will be. All of those things that you're seeking after are havel. They are without substance. Vanity under the sun. We also then need to understand the, the word profit. Uh, P-R-O-F-I-T in in the NIV, it's gain. What does man gain? Or what does man profit? This is the Hebrew word yitron, and it's used 10 times in Ecclesiastes, and it's only used in Ecclesiastes. This word is not used in any other book of the Bible. And it means that which is left over. Surplus, advantage, gain. Profit is actually the opposite of vanity. Gain is the opposite of havel. Solomon is asking the question, in light of all the puzzles and problems and struggles that we have in our lives, what is the advantage of living? What, what do we gain? What do we profit by living the life that we're living? Where, where is it? What is it? And then we have the word labor. And I'm, I, I, this word study thing kind of fascinated, this, this fascinated me this week, so bear with me, if, if you would. Um, there are at least 11 different Hebrew words throughout the entire Bible that are translated as labor in our English language. This particular Hebrew word is amal, and it is used 23 times in Ecclesiastes, and this is what it means to toil to the point of exhaustion and yet experience little or no fulfillment in your work. I think we can all relate to that at some point in time in our life. Man, I'm just investing and investing and investing, and I'm just, man, I'm getting nothing but tired and exhausted. It also, this word, amal, carries with it the ideas of grief, misery, frustration, and weariness. Moses cried out with this word in Deuteronomy 26, 7. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. Under the oppression and bondage of the Egyptians, the Israelites are working their tails off. They're, they're, I mean, they're working, 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 and there is no fulfillment for a Jew to build a sphinx. They were just getting nothing from it. In Psalm 90, verse 10, we live for 70 years or so. With luck, we might make it to 80. And what do we have to show for it? Trouble, toil and trouble and a marker in the graveyard, the psalmist says. And this is what happens when we labor and work solely under the sun. 
Okay, that under the sun is important. We have to remember that as he is describing this. We were not created to live life from a pure humanistic perspective. We were created by a loving God to engage with him in a relationship. Farmers and ranchers and bankers and teachers and custodians and Moms and dads and computer programmers and musicians and insurance salesmen and military men and women and welders and and oil workers and bus drivers and pastors and government workers and, and lawyers and judges and administrators and office workers and did I miss anyone? Construction workers, doctors, nurses, shall I go on? All... All the work that we do is chavel if we only do it under the sun from that perspective. No, as Christ followers, we have been given the gift and the privilege of, of I mean, we were, we were also created for work. I mean, it, look, read in Genesis. It says that God created Adam and then he placed him in the garden to work it. It was after the fall of man that that it became hard. But we can still find life and fulfillment and purpose in our work today if we live for more than just what's under the sun. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, with all this going for us, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. You see, we can work for him, just uh, we need to see our work is working for him. All of those things that I read you know, I was just driving down the road the other day thinking, you know, it, it, it would be very easy to be a farmer today and just be, first of all, exasperated with everything. You know, we're, we need rain. It's, it's dry. Uh, the price of fuel has doubled. The price of fertilizer has, like, tripled. Um, you know, and, and it would be easy to get focused in on that and how am I going to get this plant to grow and how am I going to make some money on that? Okay, if that's all you view your job as a farmer as, it's chavel, right? Because you're, you're not just farming for yourself. You're, you're feeding the world. You're feeding the world. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just raining, raising silage corn. Yeah, and where does that go? Into a cow. And what do we do with those? We eat them because they're very tasty. <laughs> you see, it doesn't matter what you do. You're serving other people. If, if you're a student, college, high school, middle school, yeah, you know, school is kind of about you. Um, but there's things that you can do while you're doing school. You can serve other people. You can love other people. You can, you can befriend the, the unloved in your school. You can, you can uh, you know, clean up after yourself, push your, your chairs in your, uh, after you get up from your desk. You, know, you, can, help the, uh, you can help the custodial staff. You can, you can do those things. That, that is, is contributing to loving someone else. And, and I don't know what you're going to study to be. I don't know what God has gifted you to be. 
whether that's a math teacher or a social worker or whatever it is, uh, whatever you do, that has eternal value. Unless we just go at it under the sun. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Uh, Let's look at the word man. This is the familiar Hebrew word for Adam. Uh, And it refers to to man as created from from dirt, from the dust. I mean, uh, the new NIV Uh, translates it people. I I mean, that's what it means. It's all of us. It's not just men. It is is all of us. And and we came from the earth, and it will be to the earth that we return unless Jesus comes back. God created Adam as the father of humanity. Forty-nine times man is used in Ecclesiastes. You see, Solomon examines man under the sun. It's how he lived his life. Uh, There's some additional words that are not found in those verses there that I want us to lay out real quick. The first one is the word evil. It's used 31 times, and the word, uh, the Hebrew word for evil is translated as sore, hurt, you'll you'll see these throughout Ecclesiastes. Uh, Sore, hurt, mischievous, grievous, adversity, wickedness, and misery. It is the opposite of good, and it covers a lot of things. Pain, sorrow, hard circumstances, and distress. In fact, it is one of Solomon's favorite words as he describes life as he sees it under the sun. Joy. Now, lest, I mean, I can see, it's, it's, it's like the horse that stepped up to the bar, and the bartender said, why the long face? Sorry. Um, Okay, take a deep breath. Right? I mean, it's like, when is this sermon going to turn around and be positive? Um, Well, Solomon doesn't, uh, even though it seems that Solomon is going to be in a constant, is going to be a constant Debbie Downer on life throughout this book, and in spite of all the painful encounters with the world and and its problems and struggles that Solomon... um, the, the one thing Solomon does not communicate to us is that we should be pessimistic or cynical. He, he, never, he never communicates that to us. In, in fact, Solomon says that, that, that we should be realistic about life, right? That it's hard. That's being realistic. But at the same time, we should accept the gifts that God gives us, that we should, in fact, enjoy them. After all, God gives to us richly all things to enjoy. See, Solomon does not say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. I looked. That's not in the Bible. I mean, there's sort of an allusion to that, but it's not uh, prescriptive as this is how you should live. Um, No, he admonishes us in Ecclesiastes to trust God and to enjoy what we do have rather than complain about what we don't have. And and I'm daily seeing how God has used our last sermon series to prepare the soil of my heart. I mean, it's not like an hour goes by when something doesn't come up and I think about that. Now, mind you, most of it is conviction because I just messed up. Some of it is like I have this experience And initially, I sort of brush it off. It's no big deal. And then this happened to me this week. 
I'll save you the details. Um, but but I, we had our Bible study on Friday night, and we're talking about this, and it just dawned on me all at once that in this one interaction that I had with one of my dogs at my house, uh, when he was being uncompliant about something, uh, the sin of impatience, the sin of anger, uh, I mean, I, I, I just started thinking about that, and I'm like, holy cow, how ungodly am I? I am that ungodly. But see, it was acceptable because that was just a normal reaction to a stupid animal. No, no, it's not. It's sin, and it grieves the heart of God. So, uh, you know, what do you do? Then you repent of that. And you think about that next time when your dog doesn't want to take his medicine in the normal way. And maybe the, the dog just survives that interaction the next time. Joy. Life is difficult and short, so let's make the most of it while we can. Right? Uh, evil, joy, next is wisdom. Since Ecclesiastes is found in the wisdom genre, it's understandable that it would have something to say about wisdom. Um, he also has a lot to say about wisdom and folly, right? 32 references to fools and folly and at least 54 to wisdom in the book of Ecclesiastes. As, as, as Solomon tries to understand the purpose of life under the sun. Solomon attempted to be a philosopher, but in the end he had to conclude, fear God and keep his commandments. Um, I'm not God. God is God, I am not. That was Solomon's conclusion. And then, and then finally God himself. And I found this really interesting. Um, we find many names for God in scripture, right? I mean, there's, there's lots of them. Descriptive names of God. Solomon mentions God 40 times in this book. And every time he uses the name Elohim. Okay, Elohim. E-L-O-H-I-M. He never uses Jehovah. Okay, Elohim translated God, is translated God in our English Bible. So whenever you see the word God, it's probably the word Elohim that's being translated. And Elohim means the mighty God, the glorious God of creation who exercises sovereign power. The mighty God, the glorious God of creation who exercises sovereign power, which makes sense, right? As Solomon wrestles with life under the sun, he would think about God in the realm of the physical earth. Now, Jehovah also, um, also well, written as Yahweh, and, and my understanding is that Yahweh, well, Yahweh is the, the name that God gave for himself, right? I mean, super, super powerful name Yahweh is. And my understanding is that, that early on in Israel's history, they, they didn't ever want to say the name Yahweh out loud because they were afraid they might somehow disrespect God. So what they did is they began putting Jehovah in when they would say God's name out loud, God as the Lord, Yahweh. Okay, and it's translated in our English Bibles as what? Can somebody tell me? Lord, yes, but in all caps. That is the word Jehovah, Yahweh. Anytime you see that, anytime you see Lord in all 
small caps, it is translating the word Jehovah or Yahweh. And, and that word is, uh, describes the God of the covenant, the God of revelation who is eternally self-existent and yet graciously relates himself to sinful man. That's how they describe Jehovah. It seems then that since Solomon is tackling things solely from under the sun, he would use Elohim as his choice of God. And we're going to see that Solomon relied on, on many experiments in his life. And, and, and as he searched and investigated the meaning of life. And see, here's the good news for us. Um, I, sometimes I hear people that say, oh, I just need to make mistakes because that's how I learn. I'm like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, right? Do you, do you see what that's doing? That's rationalizing my willingness to choose wrong things. Because somehow I've convinced myself that I'll only really learn if I do the wrong thing. No, no, Solomon is giving us an opportunity to look at all the bad mistakes that he made and learn from those things so that we don't have to make them ourselves. Because we can learn from someone else's mistakes and not have to make those same mistakes to learn what God wants to teach us. A millennium before the birth of Jesus, Solomon saw injustice to the poor. He saw crooked politics. He saw incompetent leaders. He saw guilty people allowed to commit more crime. He saw materialism and a desire for the good old days. Kind of sounds like our world, doesn't it? See, I told you, Ecclesiastes is just as applicable today as it was back then. That's how great our God is. Now, we started this morning by looking at the hopeless generation, Gen Z. Well, life is hard. It's hard for all of us. But it is not hopeless. Because life is worth living in Jesus Christ. It is. And we need to remember that. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, Ecclesiastes is saying, do it today. Do it today, because if you don't, I mean, life is just chaval. It is without substance. You are without purpose. It, it, you see, it doesn't matter how much money you have or education or how much social prestige you may have. Life without God is chaval. You're chasing, you're only chasing the wind if you expect to find personal fulfillment and satisfaction in the things of the world. The world will always oversell. Always. In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus said, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Romans 10, 9 and 10, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved life is worth living in Jesus Christ now as the worship team comes up for our final song this morning I want to have everybody stand with me if you would
And, and I want us to repeat out loud together Jesus' words. And, and maybe you need convincing of this. Maybe you don't. Um, maybe you can, you can say it in a heartfelt way. But, but I want us to, to repeat what Jesus said. Maybe write this down. Memorize it. When, uh, use it to head off those feelings of hopelessness. When, when you feel like, when you're hearing from the pit of hell, and, and you're feeling not important and like you don't have a per purpose and like even your life in Christ is Havel, which it isn't. Remind yourself of this. Let's say it together. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Again, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. One more time, I have told you these things so that in you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world.